Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Thank you, Brandon. I love the way that you enjoy Jesus. I've watched you for years and years. I love it. Thank you. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. And again, this is from the uh, new series we're beginning on Friday night. I gave this Friday night session one. We do about 15, 16 weeks on John 16. And then next in the spring, John 17. And so we're doing it verse by verse through the upper room discourse. The message Jesus gave at the Last Supper. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask you for spiritual wisdom and insight. I ask that you would inspire my understanding even while I'm sharing. I ask that you would inspire understanding as people are listening. That you would tenderize hearts. And we ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, I want you to be aware of the fact that there's Two very extreme developments happening in the body of Christ simultaneously, and they're happening in the generation the Lord returns. And it's my uh, very strong conviction that we're in the early days of that generation. And the two very extreme polar opposite developments, socially I'm talking about, is there's a culture of betrayal that is emerging in the church, and it's going to really increase. But there's also on the total opposite extreme, a supernatural unity of what I call God establishing an international family of affection. The body of Christ being one is the Father and the Son are one. So here on in John chapter 17, he talks about where it's going. This incredible unity, and I believe we're going to see hundreds of millions of believers walking in this. He teaches this on Thursday at the Last Supper, but on Tuesday, it was Matthew 24, he was talking about the culture of betrayal as well. The two of them are in contrast, but actually the betrayal is going to create an urgency in believers' walk with God that actually accelerates their growth into the international family of affection, supernatural unity. So the enemy stirring up the betrayal, the Lord's going to use it. To awaken urgency in hundreds of millions of believers to go deep in God. And they're going to end up in a supernatural unity with his heart and with one another. And that's uh, what we're covering today in this session. Paragraph 1, and we like always, we won't cover all the notes because I'll give you always quite a bit more than we'll actually look at in the session. Very surprising uh, reality is that the end-time church is actually transformed in context to betrayal. I mean, the Lord planned this from the beginning. Like, what? who would have thought of that? Because betrayal on the life of a sincere believer, when we are betrayed, it creates a pain and it creates a dilemma. And the people that respond in a godly kingdom way, they have an urgency to connect with God deeper for answers, for resolve, for clarity, for their heart to be at peace. And so betrayal actually backfires in the way the enemy wants to use it. And it results, well, a lot of folks become uh, fall prey to the enemy's tactics, but it has a tremendous opposite result. 
and that's the end-time transformation of the church. Paragraph A, the combination of the unprecedented end-time outpouring of the Spirit with betrayal, pressures, tribulation, those things, but today we're looking at betrayal, is part of the perfect, optimum environment for the church to be transformed. I want to say that again. The combination of the end-time outpouring of the Spirit, a great unprecedented measure of the Holy Spirit's power being released in the end-time church that's yet coming. It's increasing now in many places, but it's going to dramatically increase before the Lord returns. That increase of power in context to an increase of pressure, today we're looking at betrayal as one of the pressures, creates the optimum environment for transformation. And the transformation is so needed because the global body of Christ, I think probably 80, 90% of, which is hundreds of millions of believers, are really struggling with a spirit of, that Laodicean spirit of spiritual dullness, spiritual compromise, spiritual boredom, and we need transformation. And the Lord says, oh, I've, I've got it. There's a great outpouring of the Spirit, and there's going to be a lot of pressures, and there's going to be relational pressures even in the church. Now, the betrayal that the Bible talks about, that Jesus talks about, is in the culture as well, in secular society, but it's in the church, and that's my focus today. It's not only in the church, but that's the part that really gets our attention the most, this betrayal between Christians. And it, I see it already escalating and criticism and attacking and undermining each other in more and more ways. Well, let's look at the, at the great breakthrough of power. John chapter 17, verse 22. This is on Thursday night. You know, he goes to the cross on Friday. It's the very end. He's praying to the Father. He says, Father, the glory that you gave me, I give to them. I've given to them. And the result of it is supernatural unity, like you and I are one. Now, this has never happened at this level in any kind of a long-term, permanent way, broad, in a broad way. The first five chapters of the book of Acts was the initial installment of that glory. And you see several verses, Acts 2, Acts 4, where they were walking with one heart and one mind, but it was only temporary. And that seemed to dissipate after, from Acts 6 on, you see it here and there, but you don't see it like the first five chapters. That was an initial installment of the glory that he gave them, and we saw it at Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, for a couple of years, but then the end time church, he's going to release the fullness of that glory. I have uh, Matthew 24. Let's go back uh, uh, to Tuesday, because Tuesday he talks on Matthew 24. And, uh, of course, he gives a whole array of pressures, but I'm just zeroing in to two of them particularly. He says in verse 10, Matthew 24, verse 10, many, and I want you to see the word many. This is not a casual, it's not a peripheral thing. It's a very prominent place in God's end time purpose. In my flesh, I go, oh, but it is prominent, but it's going to be very effective. Many will be offended and will betray. Verse 14, but the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. So I want you to see that this many that betray, the context of the, world, the great end time harvest is in a culture of betrayal in the church and in society, because again, betrayal creates an urgency in our life in several different facets of that urgency to go deeper in God. And, but I want you to look at the sequence here. Verse 10, many will be offended and will betray. 
most betrayal is rooted first in offense. Believers get offended at one another, and then a few steps later, they verbally betray one another. Most betrayal, not all by any means, is verbal. Most betrayals, we say things to other people about the one we're offended at. We say things to others that actually brings harm to the person we're offended at. We undermine their reputation. We undermine their integrity. We undermine their doctrine. We undermine their story. We undermine, we undermine, we undermine, whatever. The point is to harm and to uh, uh, the person that we're offended at. But it starts with offense and it escalates to betrayal and most of it's verbal. And Jesus is saying, but, verse 14, understand this. The great end time harvest is going to be the fruit of that. It's going to come out of that context. And the great end time unified body of Christ, hundreds of millions, will come out of that too. So I'm going to use it. What the devil means for evil, the Lord is going to use for good. He's going to turn it around. Well, on that same day, Tuesday, let's look at Luke 21. Luke 21 and Matthew 24 is the same conversation. Luke just adds this, a few other phrases, descriptions, that, that Matthew 24 doesn't say. Luke adds a few, but it's the same teaching, the same conversation. This is really intense. And he's talking about, he's, it happened in their generation for sure, but it's going to happen mostly in the generation of the Lord's return, which is mostly what Matthew 24 and Luke 21 is about, the end times. Those final years leading up, those final decades, and then those final years leading up to the coming of the Lord. Look at this. This verse 16. This is like very alarming. You will be betrayed. He pauses, I'm imagining, even by some of your parents. Like, even by parents? Even by some of your siblings. Even by some of your relatives, aunts and uncles. Even by some of your friends that you've opened your heart to. They will get offended at you. There's a, various ways that people get offended, we know. And it will escalate often into betrayal. That is a really intense reality. Paragraph B. By definition, betrayal happens in context of close relationships. If a stranger comes against you, that's just called accusation or attack. Betrayal means you're in a relationship where there's somewhat of an open heart and somewhat trust there. There's an open heart. There's a little bit of trust. You're close together. You've got a history together. That's when betrayal happens in that context. Paragraph C. Betrayal is both a demonic attack to hinder our spiritual growth, and it's a divine gift to enhance our spiritual growth. And the same is true persecution. The enemy means it for evil. To hinder our growth, meaning to get, when we get betrayed, the enemy wants us to get offended, to hinder us. The, the Lord wants us to have that urgency to press into his heart. Lord, give me grace, tenderize my heart, give me answers, vindicate me. Lord, show me the way. All these different ways we talk to the Lord differently with more urgency than we did before. And if we do that, if we respond in a godly way, actually that betrayal ends up benefiting our life. Now, I don't like the process, but the end result is real. It brings great benefit to our life. It says here in Philippians 1, Paul said it's been granted to us on behalf of Christ to suffer. Granted, he gives it in the language of a gift. 
It's a gift God is giving you. If you respond right, the transformation brings significant benefit to your spiritual life in this age. And it brings significant benefit to your life in the age to come. It's granted to you and the Lord righteously, sovereignly, lovingly oversees it. And we look at it, we go, oh boy, this is intense. Paragraph D. Paul really understood the biblical uh, perspective of persecution. So much so, Colossians 1, paragraph D. He goes, I rejoice in it. He goes, I don't like getting hit with a, with a rod. They hit him and whipped him. And I don't like getting hit verbally. I don't like it, but... I can see what's happening, the benefit of what's taking place. And he says this very strange idea. I don't want to take a lot of time on, uh, but he says, because it f- I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, at first read, you look at it and go, what? He's not suggesting that Jesus' afflictions on the cross lacked anything. That's not at all what he's talking about. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time on this right now because I've, I've spent uh, lengthy sessions uh, breaking this down. And I got notes on it. I got them on, on the website for those of you that are going like, wait, what's that mean? How could the apostles rejoice in this because they understood where this was going? And what Paul's talking about here, just real snapshot, is that the death of Jesus on the Christ, his afflictions on the cross won him a permanent, final, eternal victory in the Spirit. It is done. It is finished. But in every generation, the Father has ordained that there's humans that give expression in their life to that victory because they see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and in their life. They show their trust of his leadership, their enjoyment of relationship with him. They're giving public witness in their generation that the victory that was won in the spirit is real. And the father says, every generation I've ordained that there will be that demonstration. And Paul says, in my generation, I'm doing my part. I'm showing unbelievers how excellent his leadership, that I know something they don't know about the invisible God. He is worth it. His plan is wise. His spirit is touching me, empowering me. And unbelievers look at that and they go, what are you doing? And so every generation has this portion, this certain amount the Father has ordained to give display. I call it an incarnational witness to the people in their generation of the beauty of Jesus, his wisdom, his excellent leadership. And they look at People who suffer but love him and enjoy him and go, what do you know about him? I don't know. And that's what Paul's, that's the point he's making. Paragraph E. This is a kind of a strange sentence here in paragraph E, the second sentence. Betrayal is an accelerant that it leads to faster growth in humility and love, but it also leads to faster growth in bitterness and offense. Betrayal is not neutral on its impact of the human heart. When we get betrayed, we're going to go one of two directions in a faster way. We're going to go faster into offense or we're going to go faster into deeper humility, one or the other. It is not neutral. And the Lord knows that. He knows the human dynamics. Paragraph F, it's normal for all of us 
to be, it's normal to be tempted to be offended when somebody comes against us. When somebody mistreats us. I'm talking believers now. Well, I'm believers too, but I want to lock into the believer part. Because we know the world is going to take a stand, but what is surprising is when a believer does this to us. And Jesus is saying, kindly, read the book of what I told you. It will happen by believers. Don't be shocked. Don't be confused. Understand I'm actually orchestrating your transformation, and I have benefits I'm giving you, so understand this. And that's why I want to lock into the believer part, because most of the church is not prepared for this, particularly in the generation the Lord returns. Most young people... They're not hearing about this. And so when it happens, it will, young believers, you know, they're, they're saying a lot of college kids, you know, that grew up in the church, now in college, are deconstructing their faith and they're fine. They don't believe the authority of the Bible. And when betrayal start happens and they don't have training in it, we do not want a whole generation to be blindsided and shocked and surprised by what Jesus said a number of times was going to happen in that generation. We want to understand the biblical narrative the biblical reasons for why it's happening and respond in a biblical way and get the biblical benefits from it. Well, anyway, it's normal to be offended when somebody mistreats us or they block our goals. What I mean by block our goals, they gave somebody else your position. They gave somebody else the honor that you deserved. They overlooked you. They put you down somehow. They blocked you in ways, intentionally or unintentionally, and the offense is there waiting. We get attempted. We don't have to go there. But our heart is in the balance for that season. And everybody faces that. But a lot aren't so much paying attention to it carefully. Because your heart, your spiritual condition is in the balance in part. I don't mean totally in that moment. But in that season, you're going to go deeper one way or the other. You're going to get a little harder and a little bitter. Or you're going to get a little more tender with a little bit more understanding of God's heart. One way or the other really matters what happens and how we respond when we get tempted when somebody mistreats us. But here's the part I want to really emphasize. When we are offended at someone, it's really easy to betray them once we get offended at them. And again, most betrayal, not all, but by far most is verbal. And the people, I've watched this for 50 years, but when believers verbally undermine other believers or they say things to cause harm to other believers or to hinder other believers mostly in my 50 years of watching this most believers on the beginning of when they're getting offended they're not aware they're even offended and they're just talking and they justify it that they're contending for righteousness and justice i find very few believers that talk in betraying ways identify it as betrayal. They mostly think of it as justice and righteousness, and they're out of sync with reality of it. Now, my goal today, turn page two if you would, my my heart today isn't to talk you out of betraying. I mean, that's a good thing to do, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm thinking most of you in this community have already set your heart not to be a betrayer. Most of you in this community, you're at least determining to be alert to not be overcome by offense when you're mistreated. We have an awareness of it. I don't mean we're great at it, but we have an awareness. 
Most of you determined you're going to obey the Lord. That doesn't mean we do it great, but we're determined. So that's not my real passion to talk you uh, out of not being a betrayer. My passion is that you respond in a godly way when somebody betrays you. And that we train the next generation to walk in that same uh, 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 kingdom response to the Lord. Because I'm guessing, probably it's true, every one of you in this building are going to be betrayed a number of times by believers before the end of your life. And some of the betrayal will be subtle. Some of the betrayal will be very intense. Some will be by family members, trusted friends, former co-workers in the marketplace, co-workers in ministry, and they will undermine you and with the intention of, of, of hurting your reputation and hurting you. And it's going to happen, I'm guessing, pretty good biblical basis, every one of you is going to happen a number of times. So we're not going to be going, can you believe what a Christian said? Of course I believe it. Can you believe God's orchestrating your greatness and your success by allowing that to happen? Oh, where's that in the Bible? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I got about 10 teachings to give you. Roman numeral two here. I got seven of them right here for you. And the reason I'm doing this, I mean, this seems a little kind of outrageous for my own handout. Hey, listen, to here's seven of my teachings. That's not really my point. My point is this topic on persecution and betrayal is not talked about much, but there's much of the Bible on it. And I'm not interested in you hearing what I got to say about it. I'm interested in you getting language so you can train and talk about it to your family and train young believers in it. Because you might go, I think what you're saying is right, but I don't really have all the verses right now. I, have it, I don't have all the language. Well, I don't have it all either, but I've worked on it quite a bit. And so I've got uh, seven different messages just in, recently that I put there that you can check them out. I got handouts, but most of my handouts, I put the transcription in it as well. So, you know, on page four, that paragraph, you want to, you don't care about the rest, but you care about that paragraph. I want to give you the transcription because I'm wanting to give you language so you can use it in your family discussions or in your discipling of young believers or your counseling. So it doesn't take you like X amount of hours to go discover all of it yourself. So that's why I'm putting that there. Because I'm really passionate about the spiritual moms and dads in this community. And I'm talking about every one of you that's over 30 years old that's been in the kingdom for a while. You're supposed to be a spiritual mom and dad. For the 12-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, we have to get them prepared that God is leading in a way. He's orchestrating their success. And he's using betrayal. They've got to understand that and how to respond to it. They've got to see it in the Bible. Why? What are the benefits? Where is it going? And so in a number of these, I give quite a bit more detail than I'm giving today. Roman numeral three. Okay, eventually we got to get to John 16, right? Because that's what this semester is about. John 16, we finally got there. Roman numeral three. Is that Jesus wanted them to know that's, well, they're all going to be betrayed, but they'd actually be put out of the synagogue. He wanted them to know this. It's again, it's Thursday. He goes to the cross on Friday. He told them about betrayal on Tuesday, Matthew 24, Luke 21. They're not getting it. They're not getting he's dying tomorrow. They're not getting it. But he's telling them this is shocking. He says in Matthew chapter, I mean, John chapter 16, look at verse 1, right in the middle of the text I have there. I have spoken these things, meaning what he said in John 14 to 15. 
I have spoken these things so you would not be made to stumble. Meaning you would be overcome by offense is what I'm applying stumble right now. Because stumble means more than overcome by offense, but it means that at least. Because I'm teaching you apostles so you're not overcome by offense. And they're going, okay, why would we be offended? We got you. Things are going good. Miracles are happening. Crowds are there. Well, number one, I'm going to die tomorrow. You're not even paying attention. But number two, you're going to be kicked out of your synagogues. What do you mean? Kicked out of my synagogue. Now, we might not grasp this, but let me contextualize it. Most of the synagogues in Israel, in little towns and villages, little rural towns, everybody knew everybody. And often, a family was in that little town and in that synagogue for several generations. Everybody grew up together. They were 10 years old, 12 years old. They went to weddings, funerals. They're all together. That's the group that's going to kick them out. So some of you have imagined you grew up in a little rural town, a little church of, you know, a small community of believers. You've been there for many decades. That group turns on you. And they claim to be lovers of God in the Bible. This is a shocking idea. They're going, well, why would they do that? Well, did I mention I have seven teachings in paragraph two, Roman? (laughs) I don't want to break all that down, but there's a lot in the Bible of why they're going to do that. Paragraph C. Now, Jesus, he tells them, he emphasizes this thing on betrayal. He emphasizes it in a way we don't. And we're in this hour of history. I mean, I look back, I've been teaching the, the Bible on a, on a regular basis for 50 years. I have talked on this very little, to be honest, on betrayal. And I'm looking, I go, well, better late than never. You know, I mean, 50 years, good time to start. And so I look back, and I'm a little not happy. I haven't talked on this more over the years. But I'm looking at what's happening across the earth and what the Spirit is saying. And I'm telling you, this is not an area we can be silent on for the sake of the next generation. They have to get ready. They worldwide will be blindsided by this if their shepherds, I don't mean the preachers on Sunday. I'm talking about the spiritual leaders in their life are not at least in conversation. I don't mean every conversation, but it needs to be part of the conversation. And it needs to be part of the family conversation. So it behooves us to actually grasp this more than we do. And as a shepherd, I go, well, I'm getting better late than never. I just wish I would have talked much more about this. I've talked about my own experiences of betrayal, but not so much that you're going to be betrayed. But Jesus said, you're going to be betrayed. He talked about his own a little bit, but that wasn't the big point. He was talking about their betrayal. And so those of you that have been connected with me over the years, I have talked about my experiences, but I haven't talked to you about your experiences. And that's what this is about. Our greatest danger, paragraph C, is not in being betrayed. Because that, that, that can be to our great benefit if we respond right. Our greatest danger is in responding to betrayal of a believer in a wrong way. That's our danger. That's the spiritual danger that when I get betrayed, I respond wrong. That's the part that Jesus is saying, don't stumble. Don't let offense overtake you. Now, one of the most well-known verses Hebrews chapter 12 that we're all familiar with, actually. Verse uh, uh, 15, he goes, 
looking carefully. I want you to look at that, that word carefully. Look at that word carefully. Pay attention, he says, lest any believer fall short of the grace of God. Meaning they're being attacked and they're responding in a way that's short of the grace of God. That's what he means by falling short of the grace of God. Their heart response is not in line with the grace of God. Their heart response is in the line with their natural human instinct to fight back, to defend themselves and pay back. That we all have that temptation. And the writer of Hebrews says, be very careful. Because if you don't respond in the grace of God, that bitterness will get inside of you. And that bitterness, the enemy wants it to cause trouble. Matter of fact, the believer betraying you, the enemy's part is to get you offended. I mean, he wants you, your life troubled, but he wants you offended. He wants the root of bitterness of the person talking against you to cause trouble to you. Not just you lose some money, you lose some friends. Yeah, that's part of the trouble. That's intended. But the real trouble is that you get offended and you get spiritually stuck. An offended believer, their heart is not vibrant. They feel spiritually bored. They feel spiritually uh, 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 dead and dull. The Bible isn't tender. Fellowship doesn't feel good. I mean, it's harm. It really harms us to respond short of the grace of God when we're when somebody's attacking us because they got a root of bitterness, but God, the devil wants you to get offended. Then you become a betrayer. Then he's got both of you. That's what he's after. And Jesus tells the apostles, hey, I'm talking to you guys. Be really careful. You don't stumble because it's really coming to a neighborhood near you. Okay, top of page three. I, I think of uh, a phrase I'm, I'm using here called the offense. I think along these lines of, a, of an offense betrayal cycle. And I'm just repeating what I said, but remember, that's one of my main gifts is repetition. And so I just want to say it again with a little different language, so you, I, we really got to get this. An offended person, believer, that guy mistreated me. In the kingdom, that leader, that home grouper, that worship team person, that person that I discipled. It didn't have to be a leader over you, just a person in the church. They love Jesus, you've been friends with them, you've worked with them. They're speaking against you. That happens all the time. So that offended person who's speaking against you, what happens is they become vulnerable to betray you because they think you've done something that's not been helpful to them. They get offended. They get vulnerable to betray you with with their words. Because remember, most betrayal is words. Not all, but most. And most believers don't think of undermining a believer's betrayal. They think of it as justice, telling the truth, loving truth, loving righteousness, loving, 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 and it's betrayal. And they don't have language for it because they haven't really thought much about it. So the guy gets offended. You offended them. Maybe you didn't really do it. Maybe you did do it. That's not the point. The point is they're offended. They think you did it. And so they're vulnerable to now start talking about you. Well, they talk about you. You hear it. Well, that's not true. Then you get offended. The devil goes, I got you. Then you talk about them. You are now a betrayer in the body of Christ. Well, I'm not betraying if I'm saying they're bad because they started it. No, if you're speaking against another believer, that's betrayal. 
We say what God says about people. We don't say what the enemy says about people. So now you're betraying. You don't even know it. You're just paying them back or something. They started. It's a cycle. And then once you get in that mode, then you leak in other relationships, and it just keeps on leaking. And the enemy goes, got you. Then the person that you're talking about, the other guy, the new one, he hears it and gets offended talks about you. Then he gets into that cycle, and the enemy is really set to accelerate this in the end-time church. And it's going to accelerate, but the Lord's going to overrule it in the lives of hundreds of millions who are going to have this new urgency to go deep in God. Roman number four. Now, a few of these seven messages that I highlighted back on page two, and I've done lots of series on the life of David, so this is really just a quick little snapshot. But the reason I like to mention the life of David, there, paragraph A, Roman number four, the scripture gives far more information about David's life facing betrayal than any other person in the Bible. David has far more episodes of betrayal in the biblical text, that it, way more than anybody else. And he responded in a way that the Bible says he's the model of how to respond. So we're going to study the life of David because he's a model. 300 years after David is this prophet named Isaiah. David's 1,000 years B.C., Isaiah 700 years. Those ballpark numbers. God tells Isaiah, hey, Isaiah, I gave David to be a witness to the kingdom of God, to the people. He's a model of what I want them to do when betrayed. Okay. So Isaiah puts it, David is a model. So what's the natural response? We study how he responded to betrayal. It's real simple. Acts chapter 13. This is Paul speaking. This is a thousand years after David. I mean, this is remarkable. God says, Paul says, God raised up David for them. He worked in David's life to make him a gift to the people. So the people could see a clear statement, a clear example of what they're supposed to do. He goes, I did it for them. God is actually working in you so that you can be a blessing to other people. Not just an example, but your life would be a blessing. He's going to have hundreds of millions of us. He's raising us up for them. So we can be the fragrance of Christ to them. He's thinking of the next group of people that are going to be impacted. And God gave a testimony about David. I love this phrase, I found David. Like, you found him? What's that mean? Well, the second Chronicles 16.9, I don't have the verse there, but... You know what? The eyes of the Lord searching to and fro. He's looking across the earth for people, 2 Chronicles 69, that will be loyal to God. He found him. This guy here. He's going to be a blessing to others. Put your name in. He is finding you and raising you up in your relational sphere for the sake of the people around you. Okay, well, that makes it a little bit more... let's do it. Game on. Let's go for it. Another verse I'm going to give you that I don't have written down here. One of my favorite end-time prophecy verses is Jeremiah 3.15. I want you to write that down if you don't know it. 
Jeremiah 3.15, God says he's going to raise up shepherds, talking about the end times. Jeremiah 3.15 is clearly end time passage. I'm going to raise up shepherds after my own heart. The David description. He's going to raise up millions of shepherds after his own heart like David. So, here we are, Lord. Let's do it. Well, it won't be fun in the flesh, but it is possible and doable in the spirit. It really is. Paragraph B. This will was surprising to me as I understood this over the years. Over a 50-year period, just say David dies at age 70, so say 20 to 70. I'm just, you know, ballpark, 50 years. We have 15, it's really like 17, depends on how you count it, different episodes in David's life in the Bible where he got betrayed. Can you who has 15 separate episodes of betrayal that's written in the Bible, like, Really? He has seven or eight of them by family members over 50 years. He has his own team, political leaders. I don't want to go into all that right now. But okay. Huh. There must be a reason God put 15 different episodes of betrayal of David in the Bible and made him an example. Okay, we're going to study the life of David then. Paragraph C. God trained David to be this man after his own heart, but he trained him in the seminary of the Holy Spirit. Or if you want to say it in a more kind of crass way, he trained him in the seminary of Saul. Here's this young 20-year-old, whatever age, and he raises up, God does a jealous king to train David in the seminary of the Spirit. David, I've ordained you're going to be a witness. You're going to be a picture. You're going to be a blessing. I'm going to raise up a king to train you. King's got all the political power. He's jealous. He wants to murder you. It's like, wow. So, you want to be a David? Really? I've heard people over the years, the Lord spoke to me. I'm going to be like David. I said, duck. <laughs> Read the whole thing. Ends well. David had betrayal in his youth, had betrayal in his 20s, 30s, 40s, had betrayal in his 60s at the end of his life. He had betrayal all the seasons of his life. I don't mean every year, but in each of those decades, a number of betrayals. Because I always thought that, you know, if you get betrayed, betrayed you know, respond somewhat okay in your 20s, you ought to be set for life. Uh-uh. If David's the pattern and you live to be 90, you're going to be betrayed in your 80s too. That's the pattern. And there's a, there's a number of reasons why. It's not just that you would be trained, because you're trained by then, praise the Lord, but it's for the witness it is to other people. Well, David, seven or eight years. I don't want to tell the story of David. Most of you know it. But for seven or eight years, they call it seven years. That's a nice number. We don't know the exact. King Saul is chasing David across the countryside, all over Israel, with three Thousand devoted soldiers to kill David. Three thousand against one for seven years. What? When I first began to see that, I went. And the worst part of the story, to my thinking in my young days, David had already been anointed by the Spirit and promised to be king. So I get three months, I get a summer or a semester of testing. Seven years, 3,000 men chasing, like, God, 
Are you going to end this? The Lord goes, yeah, in my time and in my way. And I'll make you a very different person by the way that I do this. So David, my favorite statement over, I've used this for many, many years, for Samuel 24, David would say this sentence when he would face the one betraying him, the one doing harm. He goes, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to vindicate myself. I'm not going to answer back. I'm not going to attack you. I'm going to let God decide to deal with you in his timing and his way, and I'm not touching you at all. That was the famous David statement, and the statement is made quite a few times. I'm not wanting to put them all in one set of notes, but let God decide, meaning I can hurt you right now. Because when David said this, he had King Saul was, had fell asleep in a cave. And David happened to go into that cave, didn't know Saul was in it. The king that was chasing him fell asleep in a cave. So David goes in the cave, and that's King Saul. Because King Saul was his father-in-law. He knew King Saul really well. He was in King Saul's family. Married his daughter. He's going, that's Papa Saul. Woman, he's sleeping. And David's friend said, kill him. David says, I I won't touch him. He goes, God brought him here. He goes, "Uh uh-uh. God will take him out when God takes him out. This is not my business. Paragraph E. I talk a little bit more about that. The two very well-known episodes in David's life happened twice. He ran, he found Saul twice, a year or two apart, sleeping, and had Saul at the end of a sword, and David both times, not going to touch him. And his team, was they were infuriated with him. Take him out. Do something. No. No. Why? Our life is a mess because that guy's chasing you. I'm sorry. Don't go with me then. I'm going to do this thing God's way. Let's go to paragraph uh, G. I'm going to bring this to an end here in a few moments here. Now, my journey in the seminary of the Spirit's training, I'm using that, David, because we're all in a Holy Spirit seminary right now. All of us, whether we know it or like it, we're in it. And he's training us for the benefit of others and for our own benefit too and for his own pleasure in our relationship with him. He's training us for several different reasons. But this was like way back in 1976. This is the first prophetic word encounter I've ever had as a pastor. I'm a new pastor, 1976. That's like 100 years ago. Seems like it. I don't know how many years. It's lots of years ago. (laughs) Thank you, 47. I never was good at geography. I appreciate that. So (laughs) Psalm 18, the Lord speaks in a very sovereign way, and he highlights Psalm 18. And he says, God's saying, my, this is David talking, but God's saying, my gentleness will make you great. What? That was the bizarrest statement I've ever heard. Your gentleness will make me great. What does that mean? Well, in these encounter, a couple of them, I'm not going to go into them. Again, back on page two, those seven messages, I describe these, uh, these, these encounters and the details of some of them and some of the teachings. But the Lord said, he goes, uh, you're going to have many, many people come against you. I'm a brand new pastor, 47 years ago. I'm a brand new pastor. Why would I have a bunch of people come against me? I mean, 
I'm like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. At least that's what I thought. Oh, okay, I guess not. No, but anyway, I thought, I'm going to have a lot of people. No, I'm kidding. I have a lot of people against me. I had not one enemy. The Lord says, you'll have many, many come against you. Okay. But my gentleness will make you great. What? <laughs> and I had no understanding. Again, I won't go through all the details of it, but he made it clear later. I, I give details in those other messages that I highlighted on page two. But uh, he showed me this. He goes, I'm going to treat you, and I'm going to treat your weaknesses and deficiencies with my gentleness. And when I show you my gentleness towards your life, that's going to awaken in you a love of my gentleness. Then you're going to be gentle to your enemies. That's where your greatness lies, in being gentle to your enemies, because that's what I'm like. Because I delight in mercy, even to my enemies I want to give them mercy, and that is where your greatness lies. That made no sense at all to me. Number one, having enemies? He said, don't answer them. He told me that five supernatural encounters in the 70s and 80s. Don't answer them. I will answer them in my time and my way. It's like, I don't even have enemies. Why are you saying this? I got this four times before I had an enemy. Supernatural encounters. Don't answer them. And then the fifth one was a few years later. I go, why do you keep telling me this? I don't even have enemies. Well, he said, wait and see. Please don't check the internet. Anyway. And he said, he promised me in each of these encounters, I will vindicate you in my time and my way, but you won't necessarily know, but it will make sense to you. And I look back over, you know, the 47 years, and I go, Lord, remarkable, remarkable. He says, well, this is what I want many people. And I think many are embracing this. I don't think there's only like, you know, us four no more. I think there's thousands of ministries doing this, but he wants millions doing this. Millions, not just thousands of ministries or leaders or whatever. Roman, uh, paragraph I, paragraph I, here's that, here it is right here, here's the David heart, Jesus said, love enemies, bless those who curse, do good, except you know that passage well, but here's the point, verse 45, if you do this, you will look like my father to unbelievers looking at you, if you, if you love the people against you, that's because God has supernaturally enabled you. No human can love someone against them. If that's real, that's a supernatural expression of God, and you will look like the Father to people that are observing your life. You go, that's what God's like. That's what God's like. And Micah 7, one of my, you know, you get to have a bunch of favorite verses. This is one of them. He delights in mercy because God goes, Jesus says right here, I didn't put it in the passage. He goes, you'll be sons of your father in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. And the rest of the phrase, he goes, he makes the sun to rise upon evil people. He gives good things to evil people. He loves them. He delights in giving mercy even to evil people. And he wants us to delight in mercy. Well, I delight in receiving it. Okay, but that's to awaken a gratitude till you have delight in giving it. Because you will change the lives of even your enemies. Not all of them. When we respond this way, the Matthew 5, by embracing this, it ushers us in. Not in one day, not in one moment, but it ushers us into a supernatural lifestyle. Little by little. We actually love the people that betray us. 
I've had a few tokens of that. I don't want to overdo it and like give some heroic testimony, but I've had a few tokens of tender emotions to people. I went, wow, this, this stuff could really work. Like the Lord's going, there's a lot more. This is the end time church is going to be walking in this. I go, I love this feeling because I had real bad feelings. I, I feel tender. I thought, ah, where'd that come from? Well, it's all these verses. Paragraph J. Here's what I'm talking. You're going to get betrayed. I'm going to say that over and over. Don't be shocked. Don't get offended. That's the point of this message. Have compassion on the person betraying you. What? Because I've thought much on this over the years. Had my good fair share of betrayals. But I've understood, not totally, but the plight of a betrayer. Because we're mostly thinking how the betrayer is hurting us. But over the years, I've had plenty of, you know, opportunities to look at this. I look at their plight over a year, five years, ten years, and I go, ooh, their, heart, their life is harder. Dynamics happen in them that they do not anticipate when they get on that path of betrayal. So I'm talking about emotional and spiritual dynamics happen. I'm not talking about they get in a car wreck. That's not what I'm talking about. Their heart goes to another place that they're not anticipating betrayal the common phrase is gossip. But, but betrayal is really the biblical phrase. It's what it is. We're undermining one another. It puts us in a trajectory emotionally that we're not anticipating. That's why so many sincere believers have a dull heart. They don't have very little hunger for God, very little enjoyment of his presence. I mean, if the worship song is really good and, the, and her voice is really great and the music's cool, they could feel it a little bit. But he wants us to have tender hearts, not all day, every day, but there's so much betrayal that's happening in the body of Christ and offense that isn't called that. But that's why hearts are stuck. It's all going to change. Satan stirs up Judas. But here's what happens. Judas betrays. After he betrays, okay, the betrayal's over. He can't get free from the dark dynamics that are loosed in his soul that he opened the door to in his betrayal. It has a terrible trajectory emotionally and spiritually and sometimes other ways too i, I don't know when to go into all that but i've watched it over the years i actually go oh paragraph k at the last supper this is that thursday night before he dies on friday he's troubled in his spirit about judas now he's not troubled because judas is gonna it doesn't like him anymore like she goes that's not it he knew that him and Judas would be dead very, very, very soon. He wasn't worried about that. He knew the plight of the one he loved. He goes, this is bad. Now, the other apostles were troubled when they found out because they were betrayed and they were probably mad. Jesus is troubled not because he's mad. He knows the plight of where. I don't mean just going to hell. I'm talking about the internal emotional dynamics of someone he loves. Now, I've seen a bit of that over the years. Betrayal's ugly what it does into the emotions of even godly believers. Well, amen. I think this, we're going to end with that. I could go on and on and on. Oh, did I mention I have seven teachings on page two that you can? No, I want us to really get into this conversation. Not only, worship team, come on up. Not only this conversation, but we've got to be, we've got to be skillful at this one in the next couple of years to get the next generation ready. Amen and amen. Let's stand before the Lord.
Now, first, I want to say this, because I'm going to have a ministry time. Nobody is great at this. I'm not great at it. You're not great at it. It's not natural to anyone. So think, because many of you are thinking, oh, well, I'm bad at this. Well, all of us are, okay? So let's just finish that discussion. You're not the only one thinking it. Everyone is thinking that. I'm thinking it here, teaching it, going, oh, I'm not great at this. Here's what I want to pray, two things. That you break your agreement with betrayal today in a fresh way. And you've got to break your agreement with it a thousand times in the next decade. This isn't a one-day deal. I have to break my agreement with offense but betrayal by saying it with my mouth. Offense is when the heart's there. Betrayal is when it gets into your mouth. i got to break my agreement. I'm not going there. And then I do go there. Then the Lord says, no, break your agreement. It's called repentance. Secondly, we're committing to that Matthew 5, We're going to bless. We're going to set that supernatural dynamic in our life. It's not a fast dynamic, but it's a real one where the Lord starts touching us and making us look like the Father in our heart. We're going to commit. I'm not going to just pray for those that are betraying me. That's, that's the easiest. I remember, you know, a few examples. Pray for him. I go, Lord, I don't pray for him. I'll pray for his kids. How's that? Is that a good start? <laughs> I don't pray for him. You might bless him. I want you to pray for him, for me to prosper him. (laughs) Well, more than that, I actually want you to say good things with your mouth. I want you to bless him to other people. Don't lie about him. Don't exaggerate. But find out the virtues he has and talk about himself. Well, people will think he's right and I'm wrong. Don't worry about it. Just do what I told you. Well, that guy, I know he's sincere and he's trying to love God. No, no, do it a little bit better. You did better than that. Okay, let's take it the next step. It says in Matthew 5, 44, do good. Give him some money. Write him a $1,000 check. No! It'll go good for you if you do. Anyway, we're committing our heart to Matthew 5, 44. I don't know how many years we've got ahead of us and how many years we got to prepare the next generation They've, this has got to be normal Christianity in the days to come as we're on our way to John 17, unity. Father, here we are before you. God, we just break our agreement with those words we're saying. Could be family members. It's probably more family members and close friends than not. I'm not talking about the guy on the other side of town you don't know. I'm talking about someone you know. I want to invite anyone to come forward that would like prayer for any of this. Maybe you say, I want to break my agreement. We all got to do that a bunch of times. This is not a one-time deal. I'm going to commit myself, but I want to pray that promise. I'm going to raise up shepherds after my own heart like David. The Lord's calling many of you to be those shepherds. Jeremiah 3.15. If you would like prayer for that, I want to come stand up here on 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 the dark carpet here on the front row. And we're just going to just talk to the Lord. Of course, you can do it in your chair because this is a something we got to do a thousand times <laughs> it gets easier I don't know that it's ever easy but it gets easier at least that's been my experience still not easy but it's easier you know why it's easier not just because my heart's a little different because I got history that God really does intervene in his way if you give him time I got a little bit of, huh this stuff really works and so maybe you're a new believer and you don't have that history yet just jump in come stand on the dark carpet on the front one and then when that's full go to the second one go ahead sir
We're going to pray. We're going to break our agreement with betrayal, with words, saying words about that guy in the kingdom, in your family, who's not treating you right. And I'm not talking about somebody harming you, sexual abuse. That's not the subject at all we're talking about. I'm talking about something very, that's a very different subject. Lord, I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to say their virtues to other people. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to give them some money. Oh, I'm going to do them a favor. It will change your heart, I promise you. Go ahead. Lord, here we are before you. Lord, ask for the spirit of grace over this community. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.